You know, the Olympics ended this week, right? And man, I've got to be honest with you, I'm, I'm glad, right? I mean, I wasted so much time watching the most random and obscure sport that, you know, I mean, really, to be honest, how many of you scroll through your guide and you see diving and you go, oh yes, diving, right? Or I don't even know if it's even on there, right? Or whatever sport that is where that uh, dude, man, he runs across the floor on this mat and he's jumping, twisting and twirling like he's at a charismatic convention. I don't know what that is, but you know, I mean, you know, you watch that because it's the Olympics. Now I love the, the big sports, track and field, swimming, gymnastics, man. You watch those gymnasts do their routines and it's like crazy good, isn't it? And, uh, but you know, there is another kind of gymnastics that's also crazy, but not crazy good. Uh, it's called exegetical gymnastics. Now, let me explain to you what exegetical gymnastics is. It's a term we use mainly in the preacher world, to be quite honest. And exegetical gymnastics is this. Exegesis is how you interpret or explain a passage of Scripture, a text, okay? That's exegesis. When you go to that Scripture and you pull out what's there, it's called exegesis. Eisegesis is what a lot of people do. That's where you read into a passage, what's not there. That's called eisegesis. Exegesis is when you pull it out. So, and so uh, we here at LifePoint, we take that very seriously, right? I mean, we, our goal is we're never gonna add to or take away from scripture. Our goal is to exegete a passage to get it down to its intended meaning. And that's difficult, to be honest, not necessarily because it's hard to understand. We know some passages are harder to understand, but it's not difficult because necessarily a passage is hard to understand, but it's difficult because the passages are hard to accept sometimes, right? I mean, man, if this is what I think it, if this means what I think it means, if it is what I think it, 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 it means, then I, that, that means my life's gotta change. I've gotta change my attitude. I've gotta change my mind. I've gotta change how I live on this, and I don't like it. And so what do people do? Well, they isogeet, yeah, or they do a lot of, uh, exegetical gymnastics. They try to jump over it, jump around it, do something to make it mean something it doesn't. You've seen it. Uh, I mean, it, it, it's, it's rampant in our world, right? Let me give you a few examples. One, the Bible is crystal clear about some things. Not hard to understand at all. It's not confusing. Uh, it's not literally, it's not even, I mean, the least bit confusing on some subjects like, say, homosexuality, gender issues. The Bible's clear. There are two genders. The Bible's clear. One man, one woman, uh, all these things. It's clear. It's clear in the Old Testament. It's clear in the New Testament. It's just clear. But if I don't like that, uh, then, or if I, if I don't want that, then I'm gonna do some exegetical gymnastics. I'm gonna make it about love. I'm gonna make it about something that's okay. So, and then I'm even gonna go and I'm gonna say, well, David and Jonathan's relationship really was probably a, a, a homosexual relationship because they were such good friends. And it's like, are you kidding me? I mean, so it's, it's, that's called exegetical gymnastics. It's, it's dangerous, it's wicked. The Bible actually says don't do it. Uh, we do it with a lot of things. We do it with uh, the exclusivity of Jesus, right? I mean, in other words, Jesus is the only way to heaven. That's it. There is no other way. There's no path, other path up the mountain. It is Jesus or it's nothing. It's, it's Jesus or it's hell, to be honest, right? I mean, uh, uh, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Could that be more clear? Could that be more clear? No, it couldn't be more clear, but we don't like it. And so it's not what the scripture says. Then we go, ah, man, I don't know. That seems awful arrogant. It seems awful strange. It seems awful, uh, you know, uh, archaic. Surely all these other people can't be wrong. And so we're all gonna be there, right? It's exegetical gymnastics. We do it with tithing. 
I talked, you know, I, I, I praised you a moment ago as a church as a whole. Obviously, there are people that have to work on different issues, and that's one is some for some of you. But tithing, the Bible could not be more clear. Old Testament, New Testament, tithe, ten percent of your money, all, all that. It couldn't be more clear. But you know what? What, what begins to happen is if I think, well, ten percent of my money, if I'm making hundred dollars a week. I got to give $10. That's not much, but then the more I make, the harder that gets. And so I begin to do some exegetical gymnastics. Well, tithing's Old Testament. Really, in the New Testament, it's grace giving, which means I can give whatever I'm pleased with or makes my heart glad, which means typically most people who champion that give way more to Amazon every month than they do to the Lord, right? Because there's some exegetical gymnastics going on. Well, there's another place that we do that, and it's with the topic of hell. Can you imagine talking about hell in our world today? Hell is a, is a real, so today, that's what we're gonna talk about. Why? Just because I said, I wanna scare the hell out of these people, right? No, that's not, that's not it. I mean, I just wanna talk about hell because I love getting up talking about hard stuff. That's not it. It's because that's where we come to. That's why we preach through books of the Bible. Revelation, the Bible's clear about hell. I mean, in Revelation 14, 6 through 13 is very clear about hell. Jesus was very clear about hell. So we, we, as we were looking at this, I thought, what are we going to title this passage? And, you know, I said, well, we could name it. Hell, yeah, it's real, right? <laughs> could name it. Hell, no, we won't go, right? <laughs> but we said, nah, let's just name it. Hell is real, okay? All right, I'm through with those jokes. Hell is real, all right? So it, it, hell is real, Hell's real. That's what the Bible said. That's what Jesus said. That's what the scriptures say, all right? And so that's what we're going to talk about when we come to Revelation chapter four, verses six through 13. Now, you know, many people uh, do some exegetical gymnastics with hell, right? I mean, we can't imagine that a loving God would send anyone to hell. A a loving God is not gonna send anyone to hell, surely, right? And so what we do with the love of God is we make a caricature of it. You, you've seen one of those caricatures. Many of you might have even had a caricature painted of you. You know, you go to the, to the beach or to the Gatlinburg or to the, one of the tourist destinations, and I've got a caricature. And so, you, you know, someone paints a caricature on the street really quick, and what they do is they paint you. It really resembles you, but there's one aspect of you that's really exaggerated and big, right? Like your head, typically, or something, and it draws all the attention to your head, and nobody focuses on anything else. And when we talk about the love of God, the love of God, which is real, okay? It's real. I mean, it's awesome. It's unconditional. It's amazing. It is a true doctrine. It's absolutely something we can't even imagine. But when we, that's all we do. We make it a caricature of God where we focus on God and nothing else. We certainly don't want to focus on justice. We don't want to focus on wrath, all those different things. So it's a caricature of God, and hell does not fit within that caricature of God, does it? Hell does not fit within that, Right? And so, so, so we, we sort of write it out. And so, so, and, and then we, we, we forget about God's justice. And that, that, here's the irony. When we do away with hell, if there is no hell, then there's no justice. Hitler goes free. Have you thought about that? All the mass, they go free. You say, oh, no, well, I mean, no, we got man's justice. We got jail sentences. We can put people in time out. We can do all this kind of stuff. Really, so then we're saying we trust man's justice which is flawed because no man is omniscient. No man knows everything. No man is pure. No man is perfect. No judge sits on a bench, just so you know, without an, uh, with, without, uh, that's completely unbiased or without some kind of an agenda, okay? No judge and no jury sits on a bench that's not. Somehow, they're, they're shaped by something that happened in their past that causes them to see this differently. Just understand, there is no such thing as pure 
unbiased justice in the man's system. And we were saying we would trust that, but we're not gonna trust God's justice who is omniscient, who knows all, sees all, never makes a mistake, is completely pure. We do not want a world with no justice, folks. You want justice. Let someone wrong your family, pray, uh, uh, pray not. If someone were to wrong your family, you would want justice. Someone took everything you have, you want justice, right? And so, so we can't play hell out because there is no justice, right? Now, I really believe, folks, to be quite honest with you, that your view of hell, and get this, it's gonna come, to, it's shaped by, by two things, uh, if we could boil it down. One, your view of hell is gonna be shaped by how valuable and how worthy and how literally glorious you see God. If you don't think God is very valuable, if God is very worthy, if God is very glorious, then you won't see a need for hell. If you think God is the ultimate in, in value, value, worth, and glory, then there's a need for hell. Also, if, if you don't see your sin as hideous, if you don't see your sin as, as absolutely depraved, then there's no need for hell. So if you don't think God is glorious or your sin is bad, you're not gonna see a need for hell, to be quite honest. So all that, how do you see God and how do you see your sin? Now, I know talking about hell brings mixed emotions. I really do. I've got mixed emotions about hell. Uh, one, think about this. And I think you'll be with me here. One, man, I don't think hell can be hot enough for evil people like Adolf Hitler or Joseph Stalin or Saddam Hussein who's left mass graves full of, 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 of people who were created in God's image. Or, or I don't think hell can, is hot enough for a man or a group of men who abduct or kidnap or abuse or traffic children. Do you? I mean, man, I wish God would turn up the flames a little bit hotter for people like that, right? I mean, that's one emotion. But then on the other thing, the reality is hell's not just for mass murderers and child traffickers, folks. As a matter of fact, I want you to understand hey, there's gonna be more good people in hell than bad people, I believe. People who are good in the sense that, man, they didn't commit major crimes and they didn't do all these bad, but here's, hell's not just for mass murderers and, 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 and major convicts and child traffickers. Hell is for people who rejected Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible says, right? So here's what that means. That means that people that I know and love will spend all of eternity in a real place called hell unless they give their heart to Jesus. But people I know and love today don't know Jesus, and so they're hell bound if they don't give their life to Jesus. And that's, a, that's another emotion, right? I mean, that's another emotion. And so most people, if we think about it, you know, there's a lot of people in our world that have have maybe they're agnostic and they say, I don't believe in hell. It's a, or maybe they think, well, I'm more refined. I'm more sophisticated uh, Christian and I just don't, I don't believe in hell. But really, I think most people that I know that believe in hell, but I see them a lot of times and sometimes they're, 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 they, they functionally don't believe in hell with what they say because I've never been to a funeral Never, and I've done many funerals, I've been to many funerals, and think about this, and, and, and you think about it for you. I've never been to a funeral where someone did not say, whoever it was that died that was their family, they're in a better place. You know what I'm talking about. I, sometimes I know those people well. Sometimes they might even be my family. And I've had to tell my family members before, to be quite honest, I've had to sit down and I've had to tell my family members that I'm doing a family member's funeral, and I've had to tell their spouses, I need to meet with you privately because I said, you need to understand, I will not say your whatever it was, your dad or your husband, this is my family. So I had a little bit more uh, you know, uh, ability to say this, but I had, I had to meet with my family and say, I will not say 
your whatever was in, is in heaven because he never gave his life to Jesus. So you need to understand I will not say that. Okay, I cannot say that because I've got to preach the truth even in a funeral. But most people can't bring themselves to believe their family would be there, so he's in a better place. Folks, what I want you to understand is if you don't believe in Jesus, this is as good as it's ever gonna get. If you don't believe in Jesus, there is no better place. It gets worse, way worse, and we're gonna talk about it today. If you do believe in Jesus, no matter what you go through here, this is as worse as it's ever gonna get. It gets way better until you can't even imagine it, okay? You can't even imagine it. Now, when, when, when we come into this, uh, last week we looked at 14, one through five, and in 14, one through five, uh, John in his vision gave us a great picture. Uh, those who believe in Jesus have the eternal glory of heaven. I mean, you can't imagine how good it's gonna be, right? In six through 13, he comes in and says, those who don't are gonna be tormented for all of eternity in the fire and sulfur of burning hell. Now, let's, let, let's look at the, the passage, and I've broken it down into three parts, and, but let's look at, at, at the passage. The first is 14, uh, verses six and seven, and here's what it says. Then I saw another angel. Now, John uh, is in Revelation. He didn't see an angel in the first of 14. He's just talking about through the book. He's seen these angels. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. So what we see here is John comes in and here's the first point that I'm gonna bring out of this is we see John, with an, see an angel and the point is to declare the gospel to every person. We've gotta declare the gospel to every person. He sees this angel and he's flying high above, directly overhead, and he's proclaiming an eternal gospel. It's eternal for two reasons, I think. One, it's eternal because what you do with the gospel has eternal consequences. If you receive the gospel, accept the gospel, believe the gospel, it's eternity in heaven. Every person has eternal life. You need to understand. It's not that, well, those who go to heaven have eternal life, and those who don't go to heaven, they just are annihilated. No, it's either, uh, it's an eternal gospel because what you do with the gospel, those of you who know Jesus, eternal life with Jesus. Those of you who don't, eternal separation, eternal hell will be for you. Okay, that's what it teaches. It's also eternal because the gospel was set. The plan was before time began. It's been eternal. It was never plan B. What Jesus on the cross, it is from eternity past, eternity future. It's always been, all right? So, this, so John sees this angel and he's flying high overhead, high overhead. Now, now he's proclaiming the eternal gospel. Now, Think about, he's flying high directly overhead. Now, you ever been to the beach? You sit on the beach, and while you're sitting on the beach two or three times a day or seven or eight times a day, when you're sitting on the beach, man, you're gonna see these planes flying by, and they're gonna be flying these banners that advertise some seafood buffet, right? Or you're gonna be at a ball game, and you're gonna see sometimes uh, planes fly over with uh, banners, you know, fire the coach or, or, you know, whatever, or fire the coach on the other team. And, or you'll see banners that, that, you know, wish someone happy birthday or ask their, uh, their fiance to, or to marry them. I'm sorry, ask their girlfriend or boyfriend to marry them. Whatever it is, right? You see these banners. Why are they flying overhead? The purpose is I want as many people to see this as possible. 
So you got an angel, he's flying overhead, directly overhead. He's wanting as many people as possible to what? Hear the gospel proclaimed. And who's he proclaiming it to? Those who dwell on earth. Who are those who dwell on earth? Well, it's not just talking about earthlings as opposed to Martians, right? It's not, well, all the aliens, you know, we know down in New Mexico, there's real aliens. And yeah, it's not aliens versus earthlings. Those who dwell on earth is a reference to people who do not know Jesus, Right, and who's he proclaiming it to? People who do not know Jesus uh, from every tribe, nation, language, right? Every nation, tribe, language. And so what, he, what, he's, what he, people, what he's doing, that means like the four in scripture is a reference to the whole earth. Four corners of the earth. There's not four corners because we know that, that cor- the earth's not flat. The four winds. He's talking about, here, here, here's what he's saying. He sees an angel and he is proclaiming the gospel to all people groups all over the earth, right? Now, he's not saying every single person on the earth will hear the gospel, uh, but he's saying that all people groups, right? All people groups. He's proclaiming the gospel and he's doing it loudly. Why? Because time is urgent. The clock is ticking down, right? The clock is ticking down and the time is urgent. And so he's sharing the gospel uh, because as time ticks down and and, and it runs out and Jesus will return. It sort of reminds you of Matthew 24 where Jesus in Matthew 24 verse 14, this is what Jesus said. See if it doesn't sound like what we just read. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world every Basically, here, it's the same thing as every people, nation, tribe, language, through the whole world as a testimony to all nations and what will happen. And then the end will come. That's what we're seeing happening in Revelation. God is so gracious that the time is ticking down. Man, and there's nothing anyone can do to stop it. The end is here, and God is still proclaiming the gospel because he wants people to be saved, right? That, that, that is what we see in Revelation, it, it, it goes back to Paul in, in, in what he says in, in Romans, in Romans chapter 10, verse 14. It's basically where we get the theme, 14 and 15, I should say, uh, uh, where, where we get the theme for our church. Here's what Paul said. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they, uh, are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So here's what Paul said. Man, we want people to believe the gospel. They can't believe they don't hear it. They can't hear it if no one preaches it. No one will preach it unless they're sent. That's why we're a sending church. When you see sending church, that's what it means. We, don't, we, we send missionaries all over the world, but we don't just send missionaries all over the world. We send you. You're a missionary if you're a believer in Jesus Christ across the street right, into your workplace, into your school, into your neighborhoods, into every domain of your existence to proclaim the gospel because time is ticking down and we need to proclaim the gospel to every person. That's what we see, right? And so so when we see this, we need to understand time is ticking. That's what we're seeing in Revelation. Time is ticking. The clock's ticking down. And we begin to see in Revelation, we've seen all these judgments. We've seen two sets of judgments so far. There are three. We've seen two sets of, uh, we've seen the seven seal judgments. We've seen the seven trumpet judgments. And then we will see, we're about to enter into the seven bowl judgments. Now, these are not 21 judgments, I don't think. I think they're the same judgments. There's seven judgments, the seal judgments. I think the seven trumpet judgments retell the same seven judgments again from a different angle. And then the bowl judgments are gonna retell the same judgments 
judgments from a different angle. And you're going to see that each time it's the same judgments, but they get more and more and more intense. And what do we see in our world today? Folks, listen, I, I, don't, I don't think that it's any any secret that we could look at our world and say it's getting crazier and crazier. When we look at what's going on in our world, the dial is being turned up, folks. Time is ticking down. Time is ticking down. It's imminent. The return of Jesus is imminent. It could happen at any moment, right? Nothing else needs to happen. Nothing. And and he says the gospel will be proclaimed to all the earth and then the end will come. Right When he talks about all people, nations, languages, again, he's not talking about every individual person on the earth will hear the gospel, but people groups. There are people groups today that are still un, un, what we call unreached people groups, UPGs. They're unreached people groups. In other words, they've never heard the gospel. Tribal groups, they've never heard it. Now, with, with the advent of all the technology, it's getting easier and easier and easier to let these people understand. But we're passionate here at LifePoint about being a sending church that sends people to these UPGs, these unreached people groups, because we, number one, want them to hear the gospel because we believe that if they don't hear the gospel and they die without giving their heart to Jesus, that they will go to a real place called hell. That's what we believe. And so we're, we're here, we're, we're sending people all over the world, right? Why? Because people who don't know Jesus will go to hell without Jesus. And so we're sending them all over the world because the gospel will be preached and then the end will come. That's why we send people all over the world. That's why we're passionate about missions. But listen, we also have to send you across the street into your home because here's what you need to understand. Your mom, your dad, there's no other way of saying it. Your mom, your dad, your son, your daughter, your brother, your sister, your best friend, uh, whomever that you know that does not know Jesus is hellbound right now. The only way that they will make a U-turn and, and, and miss heaven is if Jesus opens their heart and they receive him and he saves them. And then for that to happen, you need to share the gospel. The preaching of the gospel is not, doesn't mean limited to what I'm doing right now. It is, it is for every Christian, not every preacher. It's sharing the gospel. And so listen, the great motivation for your mom, your dad, your aunt, your uncle, your brother, your sister, your best friend across the street is do you believe that without Jesus, they will spend all of eternity in a place of burning sulfur and fire, a place called hell? That's a great motivation, isn't it? I mean, I don't want my family to spend eternity in hell. So that's a great motivation. What about you? Now, here's the reality. It's a great motivation, but it's not the ultimate motivation. It's not the ultimate motivation. And I'm gonna tell you that motivation is great when it comes to your family and your friends, but it will fall down when it comes to people that you don't know at all. Because when you begin to think about people in other countries, it's not that you want people in other countries that you don't know to go to hell or even people in another part of this country. It's that you have no emotional attachment to those people. Right? I mean, my mama and my daddy, I've got an emotional attachment to. My brother and my sister, those are emotional attachments. But people, I don't know, I don't have an emotional attachment. I don't want them to go to hell, but it burns a little less, uh, it, to a little less degree. It's not quite as hot because I really don't know them. I don't want them to go to hell, but man, I don't know them, right? But then, let's, be fa- let's face it, there are some people that, my pa- that hell and them going to hell even motivates me because, man, I don't, I, there's some people, I don't care if they do go to hell, Right? Don't judge me. You're thinking the same. You've got names in your mind right now. <laughs> right? I mean, there's some people, I'd like to punch their ticket right now. Hey, let me help you make your reservation. <laughs> right? I mean, it might be individuals or it might be, you know, uh, you, you can think. So, so there are some people. And so therefore, do I not share the gospel with those? No. 
Hell is a great motivator, especially for those you love and know, but it's not the ultimate motivator. What's the ultimate motivator? John tells us here, fear God and give him glory because he created everything. In other words, the ultimate motivation for sharing the gospel has got to move beyond hell to say, you know what? The reason I really need to share the gospel is not for the souls of people, but for the glory of God. The reason I really need to share the gospel is because God is supreme in value. He's supreme in worth. I want the whole world to give him glory and all those people that are worshiping trees and stars and and planets and all those people that are worshiping their car and their sport and their house or their girlfriend, all those people are giving little G gods the glory that only my God deserves. That's why I need to share the gospel. That's why I share the gospel, folks. So it moves beyond hell, which is real, to the glory of God. Are you sharing the gospel? This is what we see, declare the gospel to every person. Live sent, folks. Live sent, folks. Are you living sent? Are you living sent? So, First, we see declare the gospel to every person. Second, we're going to see that denying the gospel leads to eternal punishment. Denying the gospel leads to eternal punishment. Let's look at verses eight through 11. Another angel, a second, followed saying, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. There's two wines in this passage. Two kinds of wine, and it's not a cabin or Merlot. It, 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 it's, you're going to see there's two kinds of wine. The first is the, the Babylon's wine of her sexual immorality. And it says, and another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine. Here's the other wine, the wine of God's wrath. Poured full strength into the cup of his anger. You see God's wrath and God's anger in one verse. It's not a caricature here with his just love, right? And he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up for a little bit and then they're annihilated and exist no more. No, the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever and they have no rest day or night these worshipers of the beast and its image and whoever receives the mark of its name. We gotta declare the gospel to every person. Why? Because if we deny the gospel, it leads to eternal punishment. Here, what we see is John sees Babylon fallen. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. Now, what is Babylon? Well, Babylon was a real kingdom. It was a real kingdom, powerful kingdom. You go back and read the book of Daniel, very powerful kingdom. It, it, it conquered Israel, enslaved Israel, uh, and, and all that. And so, but this is not talking about the, the real kingdom on the Euphrates River, all that kind of stuff. This is, what happened was after Babylon, Babylon became a metaphor or a, a symbol, a reference to all evil empires, evil emperors, evil world systems that opposed Jesus and his people. That's Babylon, right? Today, the world system is called Babylon, Right? And so uh, sexual immorality, Babylon caused the world, to dr the people to drink the wine of her sexual immorality. Now, sexual immorality in the Bible, there are contexts in the Bible where sexual immorality means exactly what it says, sexual immorality, right? Anything, any kind of sex outside of one man, one woman, whether it's physical, whether it's, it's, it's viewing, you know, with pornog pornographical images. As a matter of fact, some of the words are porneia, 
which means, you know, a junk drawer term for all kinds of sexual immorality. And it's pretty easy to distinguish the context here. This, this does not mean uh, literal sexual immorality. It's a reference in Revelation to idolatry, spiritual adultery, right? And so Babylon, th- this world system made the people drink the wine of her sexual immorality, her idolatry. And idolatry is where you value Yourself are something over Jesus. Wow, man, when you look at what's happening here in Revelation, this becomes crystal clear that our world system is Babylon. And our world system has made so many people, the majority of people, drink her wine of idolatry as we are absolutely seduced by her power, seduced by the stuff that Babylon has to offer, the power Babylon has to offer, the pleasure that Babylon has to offer. Does that sound like our world today where you've got people that are so interested in pleasure? Man, they think everything's about pleasure. So sexual, literal sexual immorality is rampant in every form, in every fashion, in every way because she's drank the wine that's intoxicated her and seduced her away into the pleasure of the world. That's why pornography is the multi-billion dollar business that makes more money than all the major sports leagues combined because people are held captive and they're intoxicated with pleasure that Babylon has made her drink the wine. There's people that, 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 that are uh, intoxicated with the stuff of Babylon. Man, I worship my car, I worship my sport. I've gotta have that and it keeps them away from Jesus. And so, but now here's what it sees. Babylon is fallen. The angel says that Babylon is fallen, right? And then the third angel said, come along and said that they drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger where they'll be tormented with fire and sulfur. And then we know forever and ever. And so, so the first wine that they drink that brings intoxication is I'm intoxicated with the stuff of the world. I'm intoxicated with the pleasure of the world, with power. I'm intoxicated with me. I'm intoxicated with, man, I just wanna have fun. I'm intoxicated with all that stuff. Right, And then the second wine that we see is the wine of God's wrath poured full strength into the cup of his anger. What's he talking about? Well, back then when they made wine, they did it back then just like we do it today. We might have uh, different processes and advanced ways of doing it. I mean, we don't necessarily stomp the grapes unless we wanna go and pay for an experience to do that. Some of you might have stomped the grapes. You know, you paid to go have an experience. And, but, but they stomped the grapes. They cr- bottom line is, to make wine, you gotta crush the grapes. When you crush the grapes, the juice flows out, right? It's the same thing with olives. Remember the night before Jesus was crucified, he was uh, betrayed, lied about, arrested. He was, he, then he went out after having communion, what we call communion, the, the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper, after he was having actually... Uh, you, you know, it was the, uh, when, when they, they left Egypt, right? I mean, the Exodus, God instituted the Passover meal. He was celebrating Passover with his disciples, became the Lord's Supper. After that, he went out to uh, the Garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane Olive Press. It was in the olive trees, the Garden of Gethsemane. Some of you have been there with me. You know what happened in Gethsemane? They pressed the olives, crushed the olives to get the juice, olive oil out of the olives, Right? Jesus said that night when he was praying, do you remember what Jesus said? Father, if it's your will, let this cup pass from me. What was the cup he was referring to? 
He was referring to the cup of God's wrath, which was a symbol of the wrath of God against the sin of rebels. And he knew that tomorrow I'm taking on the sin of all who believe in me and I'm taking it upon my shoulders and I'm taking it to the cross and I'm nailing it to the cross so those who believe me, I'm paying for their price. Not for the whole world, but for people all over the world. Anyone who embraces me, not for everybody, we're not universalists. It's only for those who embrace Jesus, right? And so he said, Father, he knew that tomorrow, you know what Jesus was doing? He was enduring the wrath of God. That's what the beating, the scourging, the nailing to the cross, the naked humility, the bloody, the battered Jesus that was unrecognizable because he was so beaten, because he was suffering the wrath of God on my behalf and on your behalf. He had he drunk the cup of the wrath of God poured out for me, right? He said, let this cup pass from me, but... Don't ever forget this. Nevertheless, let your will be done, not mine. I love this because Jesus was fully God, but in his humanity, he's praying and he's sharing his emotions with the Father, which means you can do the same thing when you don't understand. God, I don't understand. I don't wanna do this, but we also must go ahead and say, but God, your will be done. God, please heal this person. Heal this person. God, I want this person to be healed, but Lord, your will be done, right? Right? It's always, God, your will be done. That's what we see Jesus. Here he's talking about the wrath of God, the cup of God's wrath, the wine poured in the cup of God's wrath. When they made grapes, they stomped them, they crushed them, the, the juice flowed. That's exactly what he's talking about. God's wrath will crush sinners. It will crush sinners to the point that their blood will flow. And if you don't believe it, just keep tuning in week after week because the blood's gonna flow to the horse's bridle, which is about four foot two inches. That little no, it's saying that the whole, it's gonna be covered because that's just a metaphor that lets us know it's devastating and it's huge and God's wrath will crush sinners. And it says that his wrath poured full, full strength into the cup of his anger. What's that talking about? Well, it's full strength. It's full strength. What does that mean? Well, think of wine. And when they made wine, when wine fermented, it produced a certain proof, right? It, uh, you know, now I'm, I'm a mountain man, and so I know this. I, I hail from the Appalachian Mountains. Many people call us backwoods and hicks and country and all this kind of stuff, and I don't deny any of it, to be honest, in some ways, right? But, but I hail from the, the mountains, and you know what? They, they, they do a few things in the mountains that are, you know, that you learn, and one of the things they do in the mountains, they make moonshine up in the mountains. You know that? I mean, I was taught when I was a boy, you pass the steel, you better throw wood on the fire, somebody's gonna shoot you in the head, you know, when you're out in the woods hunting. I mean, so they make moonshine up in there, and of course, it's chained to other things now, but they make moonshine up in there. You know what they do with moonshine? Here's what they do when they make moonshine. They, they proof it, you know? They temper it down. How do they do that? With water. They take it and they proof it down because when they proof it down, it's not quite as strong. You know what? That's exactly what they did back when he, Jesus wrote this. When he says full strength, you know, he's talking about how the wine in that day, when they made wine and it fermented, then they proofed it down with water so it wasn't so strong. That's exactly what you see today. Listen, you see God bringing justice today, but then you see people who rebel against God and sometimes rebel in an amazing open ways. And you're thinking, why don't God just zap them right now? Because that's God's grace. It's not poured out full strength yet. But on that day, it's gonna be 200 proof. On that day, God's not holding back anything. It's full strength, it's full force, it's the crushing, the wrath of, of God's anger will absolutely crush sinners and it's going to be absolutely unbelievable. It's gonna be unbelievable, folks. I don't think we can even imagine it. Just like you can't imagine the glory of heaven, you can't imagine 
what's, what, what's gonna happen. And, and it says that, that, that where they will absolutely be tormented in the sulfur and fire and the smoke rises for all of eternity. Now, what's he talking about? Well, sulfur and fire, brimstone. Where, where, where have you heard that before? Old Testament, Sodom and Gomorrah. You see, brimstone and sulfur and fire makes a brimstone, which was, which was basically a pavement that you find in, in volcanic ash that's extremely hot and, and produces this noxious smell. And so you can imagine, he's trying to paint a word picture of how horrible hell is going to be. Imagine swimming in molten lava and you never burn up. It's for all eternity, ever and ever and ever. And there is no rest and there is no escape and there is no anguish. The smoke rises forever. He's just trying to paint a picture for you that hell, you can't imagine it. I mean, man, it's too little if you just think of flames and burning. That's too little of a view of what hell is. Just like if you think of heaven with golden streets and pearly gates. That's way too little of a view of what heaven is. You can't imagine either. You can't imagine how beautiful and glorious and awesome heaven is, and you can't imagine the torment, the suffering, and the anguish of hell. But that's where those who, will, who, who don't accept Jesus will be, right? Now, he's giving this to encourage Christians. Remember, that's what revelation is. Revelation is given to encourage Christians because Christians are being killed in John's day. Their heads are being cut off. They're boiled in oil. If they follow Jesus, they're, giving, they're, they're having their guild card, uh, their union card taken away. They can't work. They can't make a living for their family. They're being ran out of town, and it looks like the dragon's winning. And John writes to them, and he says, oh, I've seen a vision, and here's, the, here's from the Lord. He has, not only is he not winning, he's been beat. I mean, it might look like it now, but you hang on and you stand strong, which is good for us today because to be quite honest, when we look out today, doesn't it seem like sometimes we know there's a battle raging and there's a battle taking place. And sometimes doesn't it look like, man, it's easy to conceive that the devil might be winning that battle. I mean, when you look out and you see where, I mean, the world has gone and you think, shouldn't our Christian influence, we hope be gaining and change. And we see, man, it is now antagonistic against Christians. It's going backwards and we're really antagonistic. Man, we're hated. We're not respected. We're suspected, right? I mean, man, we're not honored. We're dishonored as Christians in our world today. People are being killed today all over our world, right? I mean, man, people are being killed all over the world because they believe in Jesus Christ, it's happening today. I mean, right now today, you've just recently heard and recently uh, been reported that our, our troops have went back to Afghanistan, pray for our troops in Afghanistan because the Taliban has taken back over. The Taliban, man, they will go and they will find churches and they will kill their pastor. They will burn churches down. In Pakistan, man, and people, in, in Pakistan, you've got people today, if they find a Christian church, they, they will surround it. They will burn the church down and everybody in it. You've got people in China today who are being put on, who are being put on trains and they are being shipped out to be slaves or to be slaughtered just like at the Holocaust. And here's what's, what's amazing. I, I, I've been to the Holocaust Museum in Israel and I've been to the Holocaust Museum in Washington. I just got back from the Holocaust Museum in Washington just a few weeks ago. And when you're there, it is very moving. Six million plus Jews slaughtered in the Holocaust. Slaughtered. And you know what the, 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 the cry is today from the world? The cry is today from the world, when you go through it, is don't sit by and let this happen again. If we've learned anything, why did we sit by and let this happen? And you know what that is? That is pure political statements that mean nothing. Why? 
Because right now it's happening in Pakistan, it's happening in Afghanistan, it's happening in China, it's happening in Burma, and it doesn't fit our political narrative, so we turn our back just like we did in Germany. We turn our back, and those are our brothers and our sisters. Those are people who follow the Lord. They're our brothers and they're our sisters, and every human being on the planet, American, Ethiopian, African, Asian, European, Hispanic, Every human being is created in the image of God and has value, and we are our brother's keeper, folks. We are our brother's keeper, and we should be concerned about our brothers. We should be concerned about our sisters. And even if they're not our brothers and sisters, they are created in God's image and have value. We can look at those things. Let me get back on point. We can look at those things, and we can say, it looks like the devil's winning. It looks like the dragon's winning because he's killing Christians. Man, the world's in turmoil. America, oh, America, the world power. 200 years, the world power in America, man. I mean, I mean, whoo, we're good. Man, in, in the last few years, we've fallen down to rubble almost. Morally, spiritually, you, not one of you, you can't believe anything you read or hear anymore from the left or from the right. And the sad thing is, there is no middle. Everybody's left or right. Extreme. You can't believe anything because everybody, facts don't matter. It's a narrative that people are trying to sell you, right? And so we see this and we're like, oh my, it looks like the devil's winning. It looks like the devil's winning. And John says, oh no, he's not. He may appear to be winning now, but he's already been defeated. He's awaiting his final destruction. And here's what you need to understand. Many people have this myth about hell that, oh man, Satan's down in hell, the devil, the dragon, he's down in hell, and he's stoking up the fires, he's laughing at you. He's the warden running the asylum. No, here's what God says in his word. He's burning in hell with everybody else that's there. He's not in charge of hell, okay? He's not in charge. He's suffering and he's burning just like everybody else that's there. So don't think he's winning. He has already lost. Oh, he's angry, and he's mounting an attack against, remember, the offspring of the woman. He's mounting an attack against the church. He's trying to hurt the church. He's trying to keep people who are not a part of the church from becoming a part of the church. Oh, yeah, the battle still rages, but he's defeated. That's what's encouraging. John says, hey, it might look like he's winning, but he's won. I mean, he's, Jesus has won. He is defeated. It's also encouraging because in our world today, you can look around, and you, can look, and you can begin to see people, man, and it looks like if they follow the devil and if they do his bidding, then they, they can come out on top. I mean, you know as well as I do, some of you are businessmen. And man, you're, you're men and women of integrity. But you know people in your company, man, they are shady. They have no integrity. And man, if they'll lie, if they'll cut corners, they'll do whatever, they can make more money. They can get ahead. They can get a promotion. And you know what they're doing. You say, how in the world can he or she cut corners Sleep her way to the top, sleep his way to the top, uh, uh, you know, make, I mean, make shady business deals with no integrity, and they're getting a top, and here I am, man, and I, I'm getting laid off. Looks like you're, they're winning, right? Looks like there's no justice. I mean, we, we, look, at, we look out, and, and man, we see people that don't tithe, and we're like, man, they got a whole lot more stuff than I got because they don't give their money. I, I, they got a whole lot more stuff. Is that fair? I don't understand it. We see people that don't obey God's commandments, and they look like they're the ones that's having more sex and more fun. I'm obeying God's commandments, and so I'm having sex with one woman. Man, I, I'm, living with, I'm, I'm living with one woman. I, 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 in the world system, I'm not having as much fun. I'm not having as much sex. It looks like, whoa, I mean, man, people who go against God, they have all the fun. They get all the stuff, right? It's the lie of the enemy. And we say, oh, man, it looks like they're winning. They're not, because here's what God says. The promise from Scripture is either Jesus will pay for our sin 
or they will pay for their sin in the lake of burning fire and sulfur forever and ever and ever. You don't have to worry about justice, folks. That's the beautiful thing. You can forgive anybody that's wronged you. Don't hang on to it wondering, if I forgive them, that means justice is not happening. No, 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 I promise you, justice will happen. It might not happen today or in this moment of a life, but it will happen for all of eternity if they don't give their life to Jesus. And if they did, guess what? He already paid for that sin that was against you. You can, you can release it. You can, you can release it. Isn't that beautiful? That's, that's what's beautiful, isn't it? And so here's what we know. We kind of proclaim the gospel to every person. Why? Because denying the gospel leads to eternal punishment. And then finally, finally what we see is devotion to the gospel gives enduring power. Let's look at what he says here. Here's a call for endurance of the saints. Those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus, okay? Uh, uh, now, here's what I want you to understand. Listen, he's calling, how should this cause Christians to respond? The saints. Saints are not super Christians in Scripture. Saints are not what the Catholics would have you to believe. Someone who's, who, who is venerated, someone who's done enough that they declare, oh my goodness, he, he deserves to be a saint, right? A saint is a believer in Jesus Christ. That's your identity, Right? I mean, now, you, I'm, I am St. Patrick. They may name the day after me. Y'all can celebrate it. But saints are people who believe in Jesus Christ. That's it. And what did he say? His time, when you look at all that's going on in our world, you look at, it looks like the dragon's winning, man. It looks like the pressure's being turned, the dial's being turned up. The world's falling apart. You know what happens, man? In the last times, it, people's gonna fall away. Oh, I don't know what to do. I'm nervous. I'm scared. Listen, COVID has hit two years ago. On top of that, all the social pressure in our world has hit between everything that's going on. And here's what you've seen in the last two worlds. It's almost like, man, there's been a filter placed on the church and you're beginning to see the real deal believers come out on the other side. Because those who are fake, those who are cultural, those who are playing the game, they're not here. They're not around much anymore. Why? It's not the cool thing to do anymore right? Here's what he says, Christian. Endure. 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 Obey his commandments. Stay true. Stay true to the church, because that's a commandment, by the way. Stay true to the church. Now, you may have to join online if you're sick, and you may have to join online for a time, but you're staying true, engaging with the church. Stay true to the church. Stay true in your Bible reading. Stay true in your gospel proclamation. Stay true uh, with your family. Stay true, saint. Endure. That's what he says endure. And listen, listen to what he says, endure. And let's go back to the scripture. And he says, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this, blessed are the, the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Now, this doesn't mean, this doesn't mean that those who died before aren't blessed. He's making a point. Remember, John's looking at people whose family members are being murdered because they follow Jesus and he says, endure, because that brother, that sister is blessed right now. Because they're dead, that means they're with the Lord. Because here's what, here's what, remember what we're told in Scripture. Jesus said to the thief on the cross, when the thief repented, what did he say? He didn't say, oh man, you're going to go in the grave and oh, it'll be a while, but I'll come back and get you. And then you'll be with me. He said, today you'll be with me in paradise, right? 
Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Paul said to live is Christ, to die is gain. In other words, as long as I'm alive, my life is for Christ. My life is lived for Christ. My life is lived for the fruit of the kingdom. It's to proclaim the gospel. It's all about God. To live is Christ, but to die, man, that's gain. He said, I don't even know which one I prefer the most because if I'm living, I'm sharing the gospel. I'm living for the glory of God. If I die, I'm with him today. Listen, it wouldn't be gain if you you were going in the ground and you were worm food for a certain amount of time. You go immediately to be with Jesus. And so he said, listen, your brother that got killed because he's sharing the gospel or all those Christians in Pakistan and Afghanistan that's getting killed today because they love Jesus and won't deny him. All those Christian believers in Burma that are being murdered in the street because they love Jesus. Today, they're with God in paradise. They're blessed forevermore. Your brother that's died a year ago, your granddaddy that died, if he believed in Jesus, he is with, in, with Jesus in heaven right now. He's blessed forevermore. So don't hurt for him. You can miss him. But man, you be happy for a believer who dies because today he is blessed forevermore. That's what this means, folks. It's amazing teaching from scripture, right? And if we go back to the scripture, he says, blessed indeed, says the spirit, that they may rest from their labors. You tired? Man, you tired of worrying about the world? You tired of the pain? You tired of your knees aching? You tired of, of, of the mental anguish? You tired of the relational stress? You tired of not worrying about your job? You tired of worrying about your kids in a world that's going bad? Are you tired? They'll have rest from their labors. No more being tired, no more pain. Man, you got rest for their deeds follow them. Listen, folks. Man, when we see this, it's a call to endure. We see all this, and he says, endure. Endure, saint, saint, and I challenge you to endure. Now, many of you are not saints. Here's what I need you to understand. Here's what we've learned today. There are two places. There's not a third that you'll spend all of eternity. There's heaven, there's hell. There's not annihilationism. There's there's not non-existence. There's heaven and there's hell. There's two places. And there's two types of people on this earth. There's not three. There's two types. There's those who follow Jesus and those who follow the beast. There's those who love Jesus, those who love the beast. Those who worship Jesus, those who worship the beast. Those who are devoted to Jesus, those who are devoted to the beast. There's Christians, there's non-Christians. There are those who are going to heaven. There are those who are going to hell. There are those who have the mark of the beast. There are those who have the mark of the lamb, right? Only two, and you're going to one of two places, and how do you know which mark you got? Remember, these marks are symbols of devotion, right? They're symbols of devotion and ownership. The mark of the beast is a symbol of, 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 man, you are devoted and owned by Satan, the beast, the dragon, or the mark of the lamb is a symbol that you are devoted and owned by Jesus Christ, the lamb. So right now, the question is, whom do you belong to? What mark do you bear? And here's the reality. That, that, don't look at your neighbor. Don't look at your wife right now or your husband or your daddy or your mama. Don't look at them and say, hey, I need to know whose mark I'm bearing. What's written on my forehead? Because it's not there, folks but it's shown in your actions, in your deeds. You take your deeds with you, it's shown. So don't look at them and say, hey, what's written on my forehead? It's better yet, sobering. You look at them when you get home and say, what would you write on my forehead? What would you write on my forehead? That's sobering. What would they write? If you're not a believer today, here's what I hope you've heard. 
God loves you so much. He is so gracious that even in the end, he gives us a picture of I'm shouting. I'm trying to get your attention. I'm flying banners, man. I'm screaming loud. That's what he says. Because I want you to hear the gospel because it has eternal ramifications. That means how much he loves you and how gracious he is in the room online. Today, would you be saved? Today, would you be saved? You say, I don't know how. Well, listen, it's, 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 it's very simple, really. Uh, it's free, but it'll cost you everything, right? I mean, you don't pay anything for it, but it requires everything you've got. It's turning everything over to him and believing in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believe in him shall never perish but everlasting life. Do you believe in him to confess him as Lord and Savior? Just do that right now. Repent of your sin. Tell him, understand how hideous your sin is. Understand how glorious he is and how your sin mars the image of God's glory. Confess it and repent right now. That's what you do and confess him as Lord and you will be saved. Would you do that? Now we wanna help you do that. You can do it. You don't need us. We can't save you. Only Jesus can and he knows your heart whether you're sincere. So that's all you gotta do wherever you are is repent with with, uh, confession and repentance with true, authentic honesty in your heart and ask Jesus to be your savior and man, I promise you, he will do that if if you're genuine and sincere based on his word. We wanna help you process that though because that's the beginning. That's not the finish line. That's the start line. So we need you to text us. Text the word Jesus. Jesus to the number on the screen, anywhere, and we will be in contact with you to process this with you. In the room, you can do the same thing, or you can come and see us. We want to process this with you. The Christian life is not a lone ranger life. The Christian life is nothing to be done in isolation. Alex's video, bingo, bam, home run. Right? You need to process. So if you're not a believer, would you come? Would you come and talk to us? Would you come? I don't care when you come. You can get up and come right now for all I care. You can come after the service, but would you come? Would you come if you, if you are a believer? Who's your one? Who are you sharing with because hell's real? Who are you sharing with because hell is real, folks? Hell is real. But listen, it's not just about their soul. It's about God's glory, the glory of God because he created everything. He owns everything. Everything is from him, to him, and for him. It's about his glory. Who's your one? Are you living sin? Are you declaring the gospel? That's your questions. Will you give your life to him if you haven't? And will you share his life if you have? Right now, we're getting ready to see some baptisms. Chad's gonna come out. He's gonna lead us in a song that we love around here called We Believe because it declares the things I've talked about today. It declares the creedal belief of what we believe. And we're gonna sing that song and we're gonna see baptisms. People who said, I believe in Jesus. I believe in God the Father. I believe in Jesus the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I I believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. There's not many paths. They believe this, and they're being baptized as a symbol of that faith, and we're gonna celebrate that together. And during this time, if you don't know him and you're in a room, man, run to one of us. We'll be glad to tell you how to get in these waters, not to save you, but as a symbol that you are. You come to us. If you're online, you text us. 
Okay, you text us. Let's pray. God, we love you. Thank you for your grace. I pray that today you would save people, God. God, we can't save anyone. I can't save anyone. God, my words are nothing. They can mean nothing. I can be loud. God, sometimes they're not eloquent. If, even if they were, that doesn't mean anything. The only saving power is from the Holy Spirit. And I pray that your spirit today would open blind eyes to see you, open deaf ears to hear you, open cold hearts to receive you, and numb minds to understand who you are, and that you would save people today. God, I pray right now you would fall into people's hearts and minds and, and, and help them to receive you today, God. I pray that any believer who's in this room, God, and watching online would be absolutely motivated by the fact that hell is real, but more importantly, that God is glorious and that we would tell about you. We would speak of your glory. We would speak of your, your worth and your value and that we would live our lives in a way that if it was written on our forehead or that everybody that we know would write on our forehead, he belongs to the lamb because they know that. Lord, I pray that we would live for your glory in this moment because the time is urgent. Help us to waste none of it. Thank you for these who are about to be baptized. We celebrate that, God, because today we're seeing new life and we celebrate victory and we celebrate the fact that you give new life, that you save souls and that you're continuing to share and proclaim the gospel through your people until the very end. Thank you for that grace and mercy in Jesus' name. Amen.